0: Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport/fnr. gis.sport/fnr.
1: Pickett, she lays it off. Teresa Polias.
0: Tell you what, it's uh, it's not hard to win Pekur over. It's not hard to uh, to get on this show. All it requires is a little bit of flattery, say a few nice things about her on Twitter, and on. she invites you on the program. How I'm easy an, is that? I'm
2: a narcissistic person. What can I say, Josh? narcissism runs deep.
0: No, uh, <laughs> we've got a primo guest on the on the line, Teo Pelizzari, uh Paramount Plus and Channel Ten commentator, joining us now. Teo, welcome to Radio Dub.
1: And the funny thing is, Pakua doesn't even know that I actually went to Ghana for the Africa Cup of Nations in two thousand and eight.
2: I didn't know I this. A, I'm very excited. You know, about I was. This.
1: I was there the night that uh, Junior Agogo scored to knock out Nigeria, and there were parties in the streets, and the John Stadium was going off. And they all had the little flamethrowers. Hand-held. Let me amazing. tell you,
2: yeah, Ghana party time. That's where it's at, guys. I don't. I just, I'm just. I don't want to hype Ghana up too much, but I'm just saying when football's on in Ghana and Ghana. Come on, please. All of you, book your trips. COVID over, you're all going to Ghana. Good times.
0: If only they had a good football team to celebrate. Josh,
2: I've told you I've told you guys we don't speak about AFCON until Ghana <laughs> makes the next round. It's not happening. I don't want to speak about <laughs> it. It's no. about women's football, the more important
0: stuff. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, Tao, Pakua's been raging against the uh, FIFA Pro 11. Uh, is this something that gets your heckles up when uh, it seems to have no bearing on what's actually happened in, in women's football in the year?
1: Not really, because what other players' player awards in any sport are held in higher esteem than ones determined by either umpires, referees or media? I don't think there are many, if any. So, uh, no, look, I I was disappointed but not surprised. I think that you can scrutinise each individual voter as much as you want. But, I mean, ultimately, I think they shot their own credibility in the foot. The Ballon d'Or gave them a total freebie to kind of take the mantle as the better set of awards and then they didn't put their top three players of the year or as said, any of the gold medal team in the uh in the best 11 however i still think that sweden were the gold medalists i, I still am surprised mm-hmm. every time i remember oh yeah canada won um it was i mean even more of a bradbury than actual <laughs> bradbury that gold medal i still think sweden won that tournament
2: Oh, Sweden are definitely like to me the most consistent football team, with, um, women's football team at the moment. With the Netherlands seemingly not knowing how to win, and like but Canada, like we have to. I think we have to reward them though if they're gonna show up when it matters and they're gonna beat the best team in the world. I think surely one of their players has to at least get in and you know be praised.
1: I think it maybe reflects um, just how underwhelming they were in not just winning that final Mm -hmm. but winning that entire tournament that people may have... I mean, let's be honest, this is determined by NRI and and who people think of, and, you know, it's almost a surprise that Marta um, didn't win everything because... She, she seems to be the player that everyone defaults to and even five years after she's retired, she's probably going to keep winning and keep getting votes.
2: Well, for me, the most controversial one personally was the Alex Morgan selection because, I'm sorry, but I didn't realise Alex Morgan had a better season than Sam Kerr. Did Sam Kerr just, did it not register in some countries? or
0: Didn't Alex Morgan score like two goals this year or something? Like one of them
2: was a penalty? I don't want to disrespect people who have like done a lot for women's football, but it's a season award like she did nothing compared to Sam Kerr. And clearly we need to be streaming football, women's football matches in different countries.
0: Well, clearly, uh, you know she uh, persists in the memory. She's one person that she's very, very famous. And when you see her name, you go, "Oh yeah, Alex Morgan, that'll do." Uh, Tayo, let's let's narrow our focus to Australia now because we've got an Asian Cup campaign coming up. Uh, the two train-on players who made the squad were two of the players who've really excelled this season as uh, youngsters in the dub, in Courtney Vine and in particular Holly McNamara, who's the clearest definition of a bolter. She has bolted <laughs> onto the scene quite literally and got a place in the final squad. That's got to be encouraging for uh, other players trying to make an impression.
1: Yeah, it does. Not just for the remainder of this season with potentially uh, this mooted Algarve Cup that Matilda's going to be attending and competing in, but also obviously next A-League women's season, which, uh, call me naive, but I hope might be extended in terms of its length because it's the final a league women's season that we'll have before the women's world cup so I, I think if you were ever going to do it the incentive is right there not just in terms of bringing in western and potentially central coast but in terms of having a full home and away as well if you're going to stick your neck out that's the year to do it and then you can't unring the bell afterwards it's kind of like the near decade-long battle to get every game streamed that once you actually give it to people you can't then go and take it away so i'm hoping that uh, that can have a bit of a domino effect. But as far as the two players picked, I don't think it was a surprise to be honest. I mean, they, they picked the two hottest boots in terms of how those players will be used throughout the tournament. If things go as we expect, we might end up playing Thailand or India in a semi-final rather than one of the other big three. And this expanded tournament with three groups now and no North Korea on the scene means that it really does almost feel as though it's friendlies and Fully competitive games intertwined between each other because everyone's expecting us to walk the group stage. And if, if anything, it's it's almost going to be a little bit difficult to get people's feet on the ground if we do go and put double figures past Indonesia in game one because that'll be in prime time and that's going to have everyone feeling as though the Matildas are, are ready to walk the rest of the competition.
2: For me, Terry, I was I think they, he Tony Stafson picked the two best players of the four he had remaining, but I was a little bit surprised that. He didn't take a defender Just because sometimes the defensive fragility Of the Matildas at times Is quite scary when they do get pressed quite high It's as if they Because they don't have a, a very good midfield That's perfectly constructed They seem to leak goals at times
1: Yeah, and I was looking at the squads I see that uh, Thailand did not pick Kanjana Sung In their final squad Which is a shame Even though she is 35 now She was always the audit. I remember we used to send the young Matildas to the AFC uh, competition. So our young Matildas would play against the senior national teams of all the Southeast Asian sides. And that was basically the testing ground because Kanjana would hit top speed and our young Matildas couldn't keep up, whether it was Grace Maher or Ellie Carpenter or whoever. These players coming through would always get the audit. And I was thinking in the group stage that might be the best testing ground For some of the less experienced defenders to go up against someone who has scored Thailand's only gold in the world cup and is not world class, but is still very much above average and kind of a player who exposes weakness, but also identifies weakness. And unfortunately she's not going to be there to do that. So I'm hoping that with regards to the defense, I think the time for talking about who we've picked is over because the, the decisions have been made through the first month of the season Uh, whether it was on TNC football or on my own social media, I was pretty vocal about who I thought was playing well. Uh, I even jumped off the fence and started talking about who wasn't playing well, which is a bit of a rarity for me. Uh, But the the thing is they've got to live and die by the squad they've got now. And I think that we can can make our assessments game to game and at the end of the tournament. And if they win the tournament, then even if the defence looks shaky at times, you can't really argue with the results.
2: Is a win what is the minimum for the Matildas or will they be okay if they just make the finals or get out in the semis?
1: Well, I think if we make the final and we lose to Japan on penalties, then we will have learned nothing from how we were eliminated from the 2016 Olympics. Uh, We will have learned nothing from losing the 2018 final and we will have learned nothing from being eliminated from the 2019 World Cup. So, I mean, There's only one country where they build statues for losers, and that's in France. Um,
2: (laughs) Shots fired, Tao. We love it.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, if anyone ever goes to Nice and visits the statue of Vercingetorix, they'll know I'm telling the truth. But (laughs) I I think that I'm trying to think of the circumstances under which we can not win this tournament and not have it be considered a major issue. And and I think, really, Japan would have to... Playing us off the park even would, would kind of be almost a Phoenix moment in that it would give us a reason to go back to the drawing board a bit. So kind of an agonizing close loss where everyone thinks we're unlucky or we get sawn off by a refereeing decision. That might be counterproductive because it might sell the illusion that we're closer to to glory than we really are. So I think it would just be a whole lot easier if we won the whole thing.
0: that would be nice.
2: It would be very nice, Josh.
0: I mean, the squad balance concerns me. I know you've, you know, they've got the squad in now, but – only four midfielders named five if you include Mary Fowler. And there's a lot of forwards vying for those those three spots in presumably the 4-3-3 or 3-4-3 that's uh, uh, going to take shape. So it worries me slightly that we've uh, underserved the, the centre of the park yet again.
1: Yeah, I, and I think anyone who saw the pass that Taylor Ray played for Sydney FC's fifth goal, the one for Princess Beanie at the weekend, which was not just a defence splitting pass, but a midfield and defence splitting mm. pass because she played it from inside the defensive third. Uh, anyone who saw that will know that Taylor Ray is going to be a Matilda sooner rather than later, and only COVID has, has stopped her getting called up this time. And I'm looking at it this way, Josh. I actually think Dylan Holmes and Alex Chidiak and these fringy sort of players, not that Chidiak should be on the fringe, she should be in the starting 11, but th- these players that are currently finding themselves on the fringe are perhaps better served because They play in one of, uh, and I say this, uh, not tongue-in-cheek at all, one of the best broadcast and sort of amplified domestic leagues in the world. And if you do something good in the A-League women's, people find out about it, people see it, people talk about it. And I think that going to the camp and sitting on the bench through the tournament and maybe getting a couple of minutes as a sub, I'm not sure that serves their purpose. I think it serves it far better for them to play full 90s And whether it's Holmes or Chidiak or Taylor Ray or someone else stepping up, you know, yes, the midfield looks thin at this particular tournament, but I don't think it'll be thin by the time the World Cup rolls around.
2: Is the, I think the big question we have is who is going to fill this number six position? Because I think it's the biggest... It's the position that the Matildas cry out for the most. Is Chidiak the answer for that? Or is Ray... Like, who is who is the ultimate number six that is going to be effective, is going to be good enough by the time the Olympics... Um, not the Olympics, sorry. The World Cup comes around?
1: Look, well, I think Claire is the one who has the most to gain of the players picked that are actually at the tournament. I mean, she is... Uh, certainly delighted us a bit uh, with what she was able to do in the friendlies. Her trajectory has been great because it's almost a bit Brett Emerton-esque. I know a different position to Brett Emerton, but Brett Emerton was this hot young talent in the NSL and was being mooted to be going to Europe as a teenager. And he stayed and he played a couple of extra seasons at, I think, Sydney Olympic. And then he went to Feyenoord and he had a decade-long career. He never came home. You know, he didn't burn out and come back in his middle late 20s in the peak years of his career because he put in the extra the extra games in the domestic league and he was 100% ready to take that next step, if not overqualified, take that next step by the time he did. And I think Claire Wheeler fits into the same boat. She clocked up the game. She clocked up the minutes at Newcastle, then at Sydney. She went from being a player breaking into the starting 11 at Newcastle to being a regular. Then she was a regular at Sydney. Then she was a standout and above average. And now I think she might do the same thing with the Matildas. So she's had a very steady... Trajectory, And for the Matildas who normally identify talent super young, integrate them into the Matildas super young and cap them super young, it's actually really nice to see someone who's had a different path potentially to success on this road.
0: This tournament will, I'm sure, Football Australia is hoping, be a moment for... Uh, Matilda's players to make a name for themselves, to cement themselves as star core members of the team heading into the World Cup. From I suppose a marketing perspective, and Mary Fowler chief among those. Do we yet know what her best position is? Because she's got so all the 10, tools. Josh, she's, she's got all the tools. We, she's a number ten. We think she's a number ten here on this program. Are you in accordance with that? Taya?
1: Can I say that I don't know you yet either?
2: Because
1: <laughs> I, I'm still none the wiser as to whether we know yeah, is. Matilda, sorry, I did it. <laughs>
2: he did it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, is
0: Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara? Yes,
1: is Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara? Shout out to Matilda if she's missing Matilda's squad member Holly McNamara going to come in and immediately market correct Haley Razzo? Uh, is uh, is she immediately going to be uh, ahead of Caitlin Ford uh, in the pecking order if we're playing Caitlin Ford as a winger? Uh, these are these are the things that we're going to potentially discover it at this very tournament? Is Courtney Vine going to come in and look undroppable? And and it's going to cause us to shake up how our forward line operates. And who Mary Fowler uh, can combine with the best and play off the best is probably going to be a factor in that. Because I'm in agreement that, yeah, while Fowler doesn't convince everyone, she convinces me. And so I suspect she's going to be an undroppable piece almost to the level of Sam Kerr. So I suspect it's all about finding the right combination, And I don't think it's so much about what position Fowler is in. It's about who are the complementary players that allow her to pull the strings.
0: Everyone's talking about the Matildas and how this shapes for the World Cup and so forth, have almost not mentioned our opponents but the Philippines, there's going to be some headlines, there's going to be some tension, there's going to be some stories. I mean, the Matildas clearly have to win this game and win this game comfortably to avoid, you know, the stag narrative returning uh, from, you know, the attic that it's currently locked in. Uh, Tao, do you think this game really means much beyond the sort of the symbolic?
1: You know what? Unfortunately, after the Michael Caine tweet on Sunday, yeah I, I think it does because below the surface there's just a, a latent toxicity uh lurking about the stage narrative even though it's going to be three three years to the day on the 31st not just that the entire anti military era and now time with tony gustafson as well and, and here's the thing I, I think that whether it's inside the matildas or you know inside people who know and watch and like women's football or people that don't and just want to throw mud or bricks from the outside, Stanch is relevant to all three layers uh, for different reasons, admittedly, and the bad actors are the ones throwing the mud and the bricks and they're the ones who will have a field day if we don't beat the Philippines. But uh, if we don't win this tournament, we're still going to hear his name thrown around and I would just like us to to draw a line because as someone who has never publicly stated their position and, and doesn't intend to on how the matter was handled, uh, mainly because you know I have good footballing relationships on both sides of the divide, and therefore don't want to you know mm. compromise myself or them. Um, it, I, I think that catharsis and moving on is is incredibly difficult to find, and uh, you know it, I'm waffling because I don't have for once a decisive <laughs> or coherent point to make on this, Josh. Other than I think we will win, and I think the Philippines are a very good chance of emerging from our group and potentially qualifying for the World Cup, which would be great for that country, uh, given that they've never made it before.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that issue that no one really wants to talk about if they're actually a fan of the A-League women's or a fan of the Matildas, and it's something that everybody wants to bring up if they're sort of, you know, uh, occasional sideline spectators and, and I, critics. Everyone's wanna, a critic. For cool.
2: I want to bring up this the Michael Kane T- Qua- tweet that came up on the weekend. I know, for me... It was a very pointed attack, very unnecessary attack in my opinion. And Taylor you were one of the very loud voices you know, to criticise that tweet. How does tweets like that and comments like that affect the way women's football moves in Australia? It's not
1: just women's football, it's it's the perception of women in general and women's sport. Do, do any AFL journalists say I'm leaving this AFLW game at halftime because they couldn't beat a team of under sixteen boys? No because they actually have a bit of respect for their sport and respect that the AFLW isn't just a sporting competition. It's a social movement that is changing the way that people perceive what mm. women and girls can do. And I think I think football, because of the league having gone a bit longer and because we have the Matildas as the flagship product rather than our domestic league, uh, the A-League Women's has lost a little bit of what the AFLW has found. Or what say the big bash for women has found, and let's not forget that one game a week in the A League Women's is on free to air television, and uh, I think what every game of AFLW I mean, Hawthorne aren't in it, so I don't follow it. Sorry, uh, when when the Hawks when the Hawks come in next year though, I probably will be following it quite closely. But um, I, I just you know it's so unnecessary, and and here's the thing: I, I don't see the need to go over old ground and answer the points about whether or not women's teams can beat boys' teams. One of the first games I ever broadcast back in 2010 was about victory getting beaten 3-1 by a boys' team in a a pre-season friendly. I was there to help train some broadcasters that were going to be joining me on air. Did anyone care about the result? No. I mean, does anyone take it as some sort of commentary on the standard of women's football? No. And, And the fact that people do is just so disingenuous. And so, you know, no one has the game's best interests at heart if that's what you're focusing on. And that's all I have to say on the matter.
0: Yeah. I won't ask you to comment on this part, Taylor. but I did want to say that it disappoints me to see uh, Kane put this tweet out because I think it undercuts uh, his work and his opportunity to be given the chance to tell a very important story that, you know, at least Devana put a lot of trust in him to tell that particular story and to try and get a conversation moving in the right direction uh, on some, you know, historical issues in the women's game. And to put a tweet out like that, I think Devana was painfully aware of the fact that it undercut, you know, what she was trying to say. Um, So, you know, it was very, very disappointing. And, uh, yeah, look, I I don't think... Uh, anyone will look to, to Michael Kane for his women's no. football opinions again. But, certainly won't uh, be. But, you know, it's, it does uh, leave a sour taste for sure.
2: Do you know who is one of the voices of the A-League women's? Is that is Teo, who we are speaking to. Now, Teo, I know you are commentating some of the games for the Asian Cup. Which games are you doing for as, as of right now?
1: Uh, well, just the one as of right now. Very excited to say that uh, Matilda's Thailand, which will be a 1am kick on Friday the 28th of January. Our, th- our third group game, so be there or be square. I mean, be there or be
2: square for the other two. already <laughs> <laughs> yes, a dub. We'll definitely be listening.
0: Of yeah, obviously this is appointment viewing, and I think it's on the main channel as well. Yes. So not 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 bad, wow. not bad work. Uh, we should talk about the league though, and uh, where all of these international call ups leaves the title race because it didn't seem to affect Sydney FC uh, one bit on the weekend.
1: No, and I think we'll learn a lot more about them against Melbourne City, but we. We, we won't learn everything because, again, apologies, I'm actually uh, broadcasting from the runway at Kingston Smith here with the planes going <laughs> over. But um, uh, we won't learn everything because Holly McNamara won't be playing <laughs> for, Melbourne, for Melbourne City. And Jada Wyman is about to equal Lydia Williams' record clean sheet streak of seven if she can keep Melbourne City out in this particular game. And I don't think in an attacking sense City were – as dynamic or as dangerous, and yeah, you know, people were saying, "Oh, uncharacteristically quiet game for Hannah Wilkinson." Well, no, not really. I mean, she was going up against two quality defenders. Kayla Sharples looks like she's going to potentially elevate Adelaide into the top four, and the actual Matilda McNamara is a player I rate very highly <laughs> as well. But it, I was totally, I actually, uh, Adelaide United asked me to help out on their their match preview with some written content and. I was absolutely anticipating that Wilkinson, without the fear factor of McNamara there tearing down the wing and, and providing her with service, would look far more limited and, and far more isolated up top. And I think that Sydney FC and their very intelligent defence, the way that they utilise Nat Tobin, the way that she can cover for either of the fullbacks when they venture forward, the way that Charlotte McLean is perhaps the most underrated player in the A League Women's at the moment. I think they'll have a plan for Wilkinson, and I, I think that Jada Wyman may well get that uh, that queen sheet, but I don't know if it means anything, if McNamara is going to be back for a potential grand final because it changes the way you defend and it changes the sort of player that Wilkinson will be as well.
0: This competition this season has been dominated by Sydney FC so far. Melbourne City still looking in touching distance of the title, but I think the the finals race is just as interesting with Adelaide United occupying that fourth spot, uh, Newcastle with a game in hand, Perth still in touching distance, Brisbane, Western Sydney still in with a shout. It's only really Canberra and Wellington. that you've got a bit of a gap to the bottom of the table there. It, it, are any of those sort of cluster of five teams uh, battling it out for fourth spot, assuming victory doesn't drop off, uh, catch your eye, Tao, or is it just way too hard to predict?
1: I tell you what, if, if Wanderers had actually beaten victory of the weekend, then then victory was every chance of missing the four. But as I've speculated in the past, I think they may have too many points in the bank now. Mm. Adelaide are the, the team that's left the most number of points on the table. They were they were coming back against Melbourne City in the game at Amy Park, and then they conceded in stoppage to lose three one. That could easily have been a draw. I thought they had the better of the first half as as many as expected them to. Against Melbourne City at the weekend, and it, Melissa Barbieri just ageless, making that brilliant save from Fiona Wertz at the end of the first half. Uh, any other keeper in the league, that's probably a goal. And and who knows, Adelaide probably do go on to to consolidate and to win if they do score first in that game. So I think they're the team that that has sort of the most capability of breaking into the top four. But it's Adelaide, and it always goes wrong for them. And I remember the 2018-19 season. They, they blew their spot in the top four and potentially in a very close season, they shot at not just making the top four but winning the Premier's place because they lost at home to a Wanderers team that hadn't won a game yet that season. And then they lost to Newcastle in uh, in a situation where Newcastle was already eliminated from the finals. And, and they they absolutely torched their chance to get in. and This is back when they had uh, Gunnar Jonstad here uh, running the midfield and I don't know. It, they're so frustrating because the city continuously produces very good players, players that are Matilda's standard, and even though they've never had a winning team, they've always been a, a talent sort of factory. It would just be nice if the fans and if the club could get some reward for very strong service to the game in this country.
0: It was funny, we were speaking to Adrian Stenter after the uh, away loss to Melbourne City uh, in December and they they conceded a third goal late in that game. It was a mistake playing out from the back. Uh, but he, he initially was saying, oh, I'd rather we went for the, the point uh, rather than, you know, settled for a one-goal defeat. And, you know, if you're, if you're attacking late in the game and you concede, who really cares, was the point he was about to make. And then he caught himself and, and thought, uh, we did actually miss the finals by yes. one goal last season. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying that. You know, they just seem cursed with, with bad fortune or, or bad luck somehow. Uh, but with Dylan Holmes coming back into the fold, surely they can start stringing some results together eventually.
1: Yeah, and I, I must admit, I was surprised that they put Emma Stanbury on the bench and brought Nanano Sasaki back in. Uh, I flagged that the best way to stifle well, Rihanna Polisena was to to play the same midfield trio of Condon Holmes and Stanbury mm. as they had done against Canberra the week before. Canberra not having a, a creative midfielder anywhere near as threatening as Rihanna Polisena. And then, surprise, who pops up to score the winning goal? Rihanna Polisena. So, Look, not, not to be overtly critical of Adelaide's approach to the game. I just feel as though the intangibles, and as you say, Josh, for luck. Historically it hasn't been there. And and this season at times it hasn't been there. But they do have they do have quality and I do think they have resilience. And that's something that that's a word we haven't used to associate with Adelaide in the past. So I, you know, I, I'm not biased in hoping they make it to the top four. I think it would just be good for the game on the whole that a team that hasn't made it in 13 previous seasons. Finally breaks
2: through and get there, gets there. Uh, oh, Josh! Sorry, see, Josh, we're out of. Sometimes we get out of the rhythm. I don't like. We need to. We need to work on that. But I'm with you, Taylor I, I think that Adelaide, out of all the other teams that I've seen this season, have been the most competitive, mm-hmm. and they've shown that they've got more. Like besides the top three, if we're going to include victory this season. They look like the most consistent team from front to back. And whereas when I look at a side like Brisbane, at times they have goalkeeping lapses and they don't seem to move as smoothly up through the field and they, and they look like they rely a little bit a lot, little bit on Katrina Gorey and they get a little bit desperate at times. So I, I think that Adelaide over the cup, they... Ugh. Words are stuck with me. I don't know what's happened.
0: It's, it's broadcasting. It's it is. hard. I'm, I'm it's
2: stressed, hard. Josh. I'm stressed. Thinking well, about uh, Riley, think, Riley Henry Kira, going to school, let, stressing let me, me out. Let me
1: help you out here. Um, I can value it. out. Uh, the, the other issue is I'm totally unconvinced by victory. They may have points in the bank. They're probably going to fall into the finals because they still haven't played Wellington or Canberra yet. But I don't think they have a sustainable plan to beat any of the teams that join them in the finals i don't think they're close to city or sydney and i think whoever finishes fourth will fancy their champion their chances of beating victory especially because they're improvising with amy jackson at center back and leah privatelli at left back and even though they kept a clean sheet at the weekend they're going to have to provide a lot of protection for that defense if they're going to actually go all the way it's just a quirk of the fixture that they probably have enough points in the bank and are favorable enough to get there even though I, I don't think they're one of the best four teams in the competition,
2: yeah. and they lose Chidiac late in the season as well, and she go heads back to yeah, me. she won't so play finals, so that's going to be another you know issue for them. And I think that so the likes of teams like Perth, who have really improved as of last season, and you know they show that after a year and some you know some real great coaching, you can you know you never know where you can end up.
0: They scream first-round finals exit to me, this victory side. I wonder whether they signed the wrong Varley, by the way. <laughs> I reckon they could have used Leia in, uh, as a depth player this season.
1: Well, I mean, keeper issues always rear their heads at the worst possible time for the mm. teams that, that need them the least. And Casey Dumont, yeah, missing... Game against Brisbane was a case of that. But you think back to the season that Victory won the premiers plate and had the home semi final, but then Casey Dumont got injured in the first half, and they had to bring on Beth Mason Jones and Sam Kerr put a hat trick past in the second half. So it, it's um you know, you, you don't really understand how important you keep keeper depth is until you test it. So, uh, dare I suggest, Josh, Sophia Varley is still a very necessary player for them on the run home.
0: <laughs> Maybe they should have dipped in for both. Uh, Tayo, thank oh, you so Josh, much.
2: You, Josh, Tao is a listener of Radio Dub and you forget the most important oh. question. I just like, I feel like sometimes... You were giving we, me the wrap-up. No, so no, like no. I was on. giving the wrap-up, but I was... we got to set Tao up for the question, of course. And he's a great person to ask this question to Tao, obviously, we love to know... If, players that people should be looking out for in the dub that, you know, just to educate people, who is somebody that, you know, people need to be looking out for in the dub?
1: I think Adelaide have used Amelia Murray in a really interesting way this season. Uh, She's kind of subbed on for that player that's supposed to use her speed and and hit on the counter-attack and uh, at times that leaves her with maybe only a few touches per half to impress and I, I really want to see Adelaide you know, they're playing Wellington this week so maybe if they control possession territory this would be a great chance I hope to see it for 90 minutes and see what you can contribute to build up play because from a very small sample size I think that we've we've seen something really promising there from a player who is only 17 and they've got George Beaumont waiting in reserve who's kind of the hard luck story of the season in that all of Adelaide's forwards are fit and all of them are playing pretty well and this is a player from Queensland who's who's made the move to Adelaide trying to get some game time and kind of Going into state also as a teenager, and you always respect the players that take this leap. And she can't make the bench at the moment because basically she's got Chelsea Dauber and Fiona Wirtz and, and these informed players in front of her in the pecking order. But if they, if they ever need her, I'd be really interested to see her get a, a longer run at it too. So those are the two I'm going to leave you with Amelia Murray and Georgia Beaumont from Adelaide. Keep an eye out for them.
0: Well, we know we're going to hear your voice on the Matildas-Thailand game that's coming up, third uh, group stage game in the Asian Cup. Uh, but in the dub, uh, what are you calling this weekend?
1: Uh, yes, you'll hear me Friday on Adelaide versus Wellington, which, again, if Adelaide really are cursed, they'll find a way to drop points. <laughs> so uh, if, if it all goes to script, they should win and win well. But, you know, it's a lot of history to overcome here. And then I've got the big one on Saturday, very excited that I'll be doing Sydney FC against uh, Melbourne City. And also very excited that, uh, you know, the three amazing uh, experts that I've had on air uh, join me this season. Georgie Edmund Dale, Amy Chapman, Grace Gill. I think they're all flying at the moment. And I think one of the reasons that people are enjoying the dub so much is due to their work too. So uh, everyone, I hope, is, uh, that's listening, whether it's live or on the podcast, is looking forward to the weekend. Because I'm really looking forward to broadcasting the games.
0: All right, Tay, we'll let you get you back to get you get back to your day job of uh, air traffic controller, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon.
1: A pleasure, guys. Keep up the good work.